Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Kate Campbell, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. Well, Owen, we spent about 10 minutes trying to find a joke for this episode and I feel exhausted now, so we finally got here. Well, you're going to be delighted with these jokes that we've come up with. This is part of Shares Month. Don't forget, you can go back and listen to all of our Shares Month episodes if you want to learn how to invest in shares, you want to learn about what analysts do and how to look at companies. In this episode, we're going to answer some questions about investing. These are just really common questions uh, and I think you're going to put them to me. But maybe we can start with a joke, Kate. Why don't you go first with your joke that you've just sourced and it's taken us about 10 minutes to find? Yes, there's a lot of really bad investing jokes out there on the internet. I'd uh, recommend if you ever get bored to have a look at some of them. But anyway, the one I found today is, why was the stock trader electrocuted? Why? Because he shorted Tesla. Nice. Yeah, not that funny now because I've read it three times. (laughs) Okay, well, here's mine. What's the difference between an investment banker and a pig? I don't know. The pig doesn't turn into an investment banker when it's drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Are you going to offend anyone on this podcast? For for those investment bankers on the call, please remember this is all PG and we still love you. Um, Okay, so we're talking about share investing. We've got some questions here, Kate. These are like rapid fire questions. We're not going to spend ages on them. You can send us your questions, podcast at ras.com.au. Um, and you can always, you know, get your question featured there. Um, if it goes into the running, we'll put it into our Q&A segments, which we do every month or two. Or you can just drop them straight into the Facebook community, the Rask Australia Facebook community. But today we're going to try and keep it focused on investing because this is the nature of the shares month. So, Kate, I'll just throw it over to you and we can just riff. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Owen, is $1,000 enough to invest in shares or should I start with an ETF? Well... Back in my day, so only about 10 years ago, um, when I was so old. getting started investing, I was, I didn't, ETFs were around, but not many of them. There weren't, it wasn't anything like it is today. In fact, um, it's very different today. The ETF culture, if you like, investing culture. Um, in the past, to invest in a managed fund or an index fund, you'd have to go and fill out forms and go direct to the fund manager. Now you can basically get everything you want in your brokerage account, which is what we call an ETF. Um, so if you got a thousand bucks in the past, we used to say you need 2000 because you would have to pay 20 bucks in brokerage. But now that brokerage has come way down, you have more options. You still need to buy in $500 parcels or thereabouts. And so what that means is even if you bought two shares, let's just say you bought BHP and Telstra, you're not really diversified if you have two sh- shares, right? So what we want to do, particularly when we are talking to new investors is get diversified ASAP. And fortunately, we can do that really quickly thanks to ETFs. So I would opt for an ETF first. And if I was starting out today, I'd start with a very low cost ETF, diversified ETF, maybe like the VDHG ETF, which we've talked about, or one of the diversified ethical ETFs, um, and then um, build some ETFs around that maybe, or just stick with that. I think for me, I would want to get to say ten or $20,000 before I started to invest outside of that into individual shares. That's my approach. You can you have other options. You can use micro investing and all that as well. Mm, yeah, it takes a, a lot longer to build a diversified portfolio 
yeah. that's somewhat substantial. I mean, things like stake now, you can build a, a US portfolio of individual companies quite quickly with a small amount of money because you can invest $50 in yeah, zero each individual company. Brokerage. But, yeah. um, it does it can start to add up. I think if you go through that approach and you can suddenly end up with 50 different companies in your portfolio because it's so easy when you don't have any friction of the cost of brokerage and you might not have actually researched any of these companies. So sometimes I think brokerage can provide a little bit of friction, which can be positive. Yeah. There's the one positive from paying brokerage, but yeah, to be honest, like this is shares month. You can do that. You can take that approach of um, I'm going to invest hundred dollars. I'm going to split it up as small as I can and invest it across as many companies as I can just to try and buy in. So what I mean by that is like, this is called a research stake. It's where you invest a very small amount into a company with the, uh, with the expectation being that by investing that very small amount, it's like you're buying a ticket to research it. So then you go on and do more research into that company. Otherwise, without that, there's really no incentive for you to keep researching, if that makes sense. Um, so I would start with an ETF, but I would almost create my own watch list um, or virtual portfolio and track my own individual shares as I go along as well. So this is not an excuse necessarily to say don't invest in shares. It's just maybe if you started to build your portfolio, you can start there uh, while you continue your research. Yeah. And we're big fans of getting started investing early and it does take a lot longer to research companies and to understand that process than it does to um, understand how to invest in ETFs and the things you should be looking for. So ETFs can be a good first start to point yeah. while you're learning how to invest in shares if that's what you want to do. For sure. Okay, Owen, I think this question is probably at the tip of everyone's tongues at some point in their investing journey, but is the market going to crash? And if so, what companies would you be avoiding? Yep. Um, so right now, people are thinking that the stock market is going to crash or keep crashing. Um, one of the things that's going on in 2022, as we record this, is it's like a tale of two different types of investments. On the one hand, which we spoke about off air, you've got uh, the tech sector is getting sold down, but the rest of the stock market is actually doing fine. Like it's not performing great, but it's not doing anything like out of the usual. And so the importance here is like seeing what we would call the forest and the tree. So you see what's happening with your portfolio and your individual companies, but also what's happening with the broader market. Now, if you're not exposed to some part of the market, let's say you have a lot of technology investments, your shares at the moment are going to be down a long way and the rest of the market is going to look like it's faring okay. Um, So that's more indicative of just like the trees that you have in your backyard. And we come across these instances and cycles in investing very often. And what I would encourage every individual share investor to remember is why you bought that company and also to focus on... um, your thesis. So this is that. So this is the reason that you wrote down that you said, I'm buying this company for X, Y, and Z reasons. And basically the test is, do does that thesis still hold? So let's say, for example, you bought Apple shares with the expectation that Apple's business is getting bigger. It's you know growing in China and all that sort of stuff. And all of a sudden, Apple's not growing in China. That would be a thesis break because your theory is no longer valid. And the reason why I bring this up is because if you think about that, it takes away the guesswork of wondering, well, is the stock market going to crash? Is this going to crash? Like, yes. The answer is yes, the stock market is going to crash um, inevitably. It always does. And on average, once every 357 days or once a year, the stock market corrects. It falls more than 10%. So the, the obvious takeaway from this is it is almost always about to crash if you take a long-term horizon. But the longer you invest for, the longer you invest for in a diversified portfolio, the more asymmetric the returns become. What I mean by that is it's a lot of wording, but 
the more positive on average your returns will become. So it's like, it never goes to a perfectly straight line, but the longer you invest, the more positive it is on average. And so is the stock market going to crash? Well, it's almost always going to crash and the, the, the media is always going to tell you that. Can you time it? No, no one can time it, at least not perfectly. So the best thing you can do is focus on the individual companies in your portfolio, case by case basis. Are they still strong? Are they still growing? If they are, it's, you know, just keep accumulating. Yeah, and I think a lot of these questions around is the market going to crash are prompted by what's happening in the media. But yep. you can see the same publication provide two articles in the same week is that markets reached an all-time high and markets fallen 10%. So you can find like completely opposite stories depending on what data they're looking at, um, what country, what particular day. And so there's always clickbait headlines because that gets you to read them. If you just hear, oh, the market just uh, kept pottering along today, you wouldn't click on that, would you? Yeah, that's it. So there's this wonderful chart um, and it basically goes from bottom left to top right and it shows you the news that is very common and like the clickbaity news is very common and useless is in the bottom left corner. And the further you go up to the top right hand corner, the more rare the information becomes and the more important it is. And that information is like a, like a dot on an overall circle, like it's tiny. And so just visualize that, like there's so much information out there on the internet, everywhere, newspapers, down the street, on the radio, whatever. But the actual amount of information that means anything to your long-term wealth creation is probably like tiny, 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 tiny. You probably won't even, like you won't even come across it today, tomorrow or the next day. Yeah. They're very rarely changes. So you've kind of just got to remember that, like the the, the media outlets have an incentive and it's yeah. oftentimes too short-term focused. Yeah. And I think if you want to learn a bit more about this, even listening to our episode with Daniel Crosby on behavioral investing, listening mm-hmm. to our episode with Brian Feroldi yep. um, and listening to our episode with Nick Majuli. Um, on just keep buying they're really good ways to put the whole thing into perspective especially with the media Um, all right so the question that despite us doing an episode on brokerage accounts we keep seeing in our Facebook community and I think everyone comes across this sticking point when they get started investing it's which brokerage account do I start with yeah um, so we don't really recommend or endorse any individual brokerage account so even if I use names now I'm not saying like this is a recommendation per se, but it just gives you a short list because this is the most obvious question. It's like, I want to start investing. How do I do it? So um, I currently use Comsec for a lot of my share trading, but that's more of a legacy thing. Um, and I always say this, but I, I am going to dump them eventually because it's just, it's just a clunky old platform, really. Um, I'll probably keep the account open, but I probably just won't use it anymore. Um, and I think I'm going to, I'm probably, what's probably going to happen is I'm probably going to switch my ETF investing to Perla and have my share investing inside Selfwealth. Those, just for full disclosure, those two are sponsors of our show. Um, there are others like Stake, which is a really good competitor to those two. Um, and there are heaps of others. But I want to have my shares held on HIN, which is an extra layer of security. Costs a little bit more in brokerage, that's okay. Um, but they serve two different purposes. And we've talked about this on the show before. Um, for share investors, there are certain benefits for going with some brokers and for ETF investors, there are certain benefits for going with other brokers. So you can have, there's no, there's no law against having more than one brokerage account. So you can have a few, if you're happy to deal with the admin of passwords and logging in and whatever. Yeah. There is a bit more admin if you have 
investments in multiple brokerage accounts because you can have different registry accounts and you're going to have to keep track of it. But like for me, I find the psychology of keeping my ETFs and my share investments separate is very helpful because I have very different strategies and very different approaches. One's a lot more passive and long-term. One is something that requires a bit more active involvement and research and a bit more of my attention and time. So for me, I like to keep them very separate so I don't have to look at my long-term 20-year horizon ETF portfolio when I'm looking at my share portfolio. Yeah, for sure. And so, but just keep in mind, like when you look at the the brokerage accounts for share investors in particular, a lot of those extra widgets and stuff, they're just crap. You don't need them. Like to be honest, as, as analysts, like the things that we look at are the annual reports. We look at um, maybe what like the company's websites and competitors' websites and the competitors' annual reports. And we'll look at like forums or whatever to get like information from the industry of what customers are saying or what the industry is doing or go to trade conferences or whatever. Mm. A lot of that stuff's not in a brokerage account. Like the stuff that's in a brokerage account is just a different way to slice and dice the same amount of information that's already available to everyone. Yeah. So there's no real advantage for having that. So just be aware, be aware that some of the widgets that are put into brokerage accounts just simply aren't useful. Mm. And they might seem like they are because you might be like, oh, look at this thing. Um, but they don't. Like if it was if investing was that easy, like all the engineers would be the, the billionaires. Yeah. Um, so if you want more information on brokerage accounts, we do have like a two-part yes, episode we do have a separate ep- episode on that. But um, for share investors, like that's ha- that's what I use. Yeah. 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 All right. So what's next? Uh, I hear people talk a lot about filtering and screening shares to buy. What does that mean, and how do I do it? What are some of the other resources to use? Yes. Sure. So filtering and screening are exactly the same thing. It's like think about a, a sieve in the kitchen. When you put the flour through it, it kind of like filters out all the dodgy um, flour and you get the pure stuff underneath. That's basically what we're doing with a filter or screening tool when it comes to investing. What it is, it's like you get all of the companies um, in Australia or throughout the world and there's a big database of them and you can say, I only want companies with low price to sales ratios, or I only want companies that have exhibited high growth, or I only want companies that are in healthcare. And you can basically put in this rule and click, you know, filter or screen or whatever, and the platform will do it for you. And it will show you a list of companies, which then you can research. So people in the past, when these things first came out, like Comsec was one of the early adopters of this, um, people would use these and be like, oh, I can build a portfolio out of this. No, not really. This is just a new way to look at the same companies. So what the way I use a screening tool or filtering tool is very simple. You just put in the parameters which align with your investment strategy or process. So let's say for me, I might want companies that are in technology, healthcare, um, and consumer staples. So that'd be like Woolworths and whatever. Say I want companies from those three sectors. I'll put that in the screen. And then I might put companies that have positive cash flow and low amounts of debt, right? I put that in the screen and I, I click fetch or you know screen filter, whatever the button says, and it does it. And then it produces a list of say, in Australia, there might only be like 50 companies say, right? Um, and from there, I then look at those companies and I say, okay, um, let's have a quick look through and see what they do. Um, and I might need to filter it again to be like, okay, now I want companies that have, um, you know, uh, I don't know, revenue growth, like growth in sales of 20% over the past three years. So I know it's growing. And then they might bring it down to 20. And then that's all of a sudden the list that then I can work with. And then I'll go through, read about the companies. But I won't just take that list of 20 and go and invest in them all, which is what some people do, which I think is a little bit crazy. Yeah. So it's a way of shrinking that 
investable universe because as we've said um, in Shares Month previously, there are like thousands of companies just in Australia alone that you could invest in. Yeah, there are. And so the two tools that you could use to do this, which are probably the most common that I know of that aren't like inside a brokerage account Mm. is the Simply Wall Street one. Um, So I think it's simplywall.street. That's an Australian startup. Um, fantastic business based out of Sydney and they do these screens and they do pre-built ones as well uh, but the one that I use the most is Ticker T-I-K-R um, it's a US startup and they use a similar database um, and I just like the user interface and I can screen for all different types of companies and I find that really valuable so that's like a um, it's a freemium tool both of these are freemium tools so you got to pay a little bit to access more and more features. Um, neither of them are that expensive, I would say. But if, yeah, I spend more time in Ticker than I do in any other type of source or yeah. software platform, and it's the one that I can't go past. Yeah, so it's a tool to shrink the universe, but not your primary research. tool to decide what to invest yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, I just use it for like a list, and then from there I go and do my own research. Okay, awesome. So the next question is, I work for a big company and have received some shares. How can I sell the shares I got from my employer as part of this incentive scheme yeah so i'll be quick on this one because it won't apply to a lot of people but typically what happens is employees of big companies like let's say for example i don't know if they do this but let's say you work for woolworths or telstra or something like that if Mm. you've been there a while they might give you a thousand dollars of shares as a bonus every year for senior employees or whatever once you reach a certain milestone and typically what happens is they'll the hr manager will tell you that this is coming up and you're eligible for this and then at the end of the year, they'll send you a piece of paper that says, this is what you've been allotted. This is your holding number. And what the way it works is the company that you work for basically signs a deal with a comp- like a what we call a share registry. So this would be like computer share, boardroom, link market services, so on and so forth. Um, and the company chooses that. So your company chooses that company to be the share registry. And what has to happen is you have to take the information that's on your piece of paper and log in. You have to verify your identity and whatever. But that's normally automatically done for Mm. you. And then from there, they typically have a mechanism to sell those shares from there, meaning you do not need to link it to your brokerage account. You do not need to do all that. It should automatically be there. And then they'll be like, yeah, we'll sell these for you and credit your account. And that's basically all it is. Um, And that's typically the simplest way. Um, I, I just sort of thought I'd mention like to make sure with any investments in your own company that you work for, um, always check their share trading policy because yes, sometimes companies yes. will have blackout periods around results. So even if you don't get allocated shares and you just buy them at the company you work for, make sure you check out um, all of that because that might mean you can or can't buy during certain periods. Yeah, for sure. Good one. Um, that's more just staying safe. That's more of a legal uh, yes. angel here on your shoulder. Yep. Yes. Okay. Next one. Um, is micro investing safe and how do I know what to choose? Um, we've talked about this a lot. We've done episodes on this because a lot of people come to our platform with le- like lower amounts of money or they have money and they just don't want to invest a lot in one go. So there are things like Raise, Spaceship. We got a question on that the other week um, and a bunch of these other ones. Even Perla does it now. Yeah. It'll allow you to what we call micro-invest, so very small amounts of money. Some of them good, some of them bad. There's Comsec Pocket as well while I'm on it. Um, the thing for me is I like them and I think it's a good thing, but I wouldn't – I think the, the, the data shows that most people that use those services really just use them as a gateway to bigger investing. And so that's okay. So you could start with that, get a feel for it, and then move on. If you don't know what micro-investing is, typically what it is is you might have like a roundup feature – 
where if you tap your card, a little bit of money goes into a portfolio or you might be able to just have like $10 and buy shares. I think Sharesies does this as well. Yeah, there's quite a lot of different options Yeah, there's a heap there. of them. And the basic idea is that your money is pulled with other investors behind the scenes. Uh, you still They still keep track of that for you, but your money is pulled with other investors, which allows them to go in and buy the shares because by itself, it costs them more than your investment typically to, yeah. to, to make the trade. So that's the way it works. And as far as I know, Kate, Comsec is the only one that offers the, their own HIN, meaning your assets are held separately for you on your own. You've got your own number. It's all separately held. And this is rare because, like I said, it normally costs more. Yeah. I think to, it's important to differentiate that these micro-investing apps we're mentioning, they're all quite structured quite differently. Like Raise, you're getting a diversified portfolio of ETFs, ETFs and you get to yeah. choose your risk profile where Spaceship, you might be in there, what the world is where the world is going philosophy, which is more of an Tech. active portfolio. Yep. Whereas shares is, it might be not, you're not getting your own him, but you get to choose which shares and ETFs you buy from Australian and yep. US and New Zealand shares. And then, um, yeah, even stake, if you're investing small amounts, you could, that's, you're choosing what to invest in. And then um, Comsec Pocket, I think you had a choice of maybe seven or so different ETFs you could buy. Yep. So it's all structured slightly different. Some are structured as managed funds, some are structured as you're buying shares, but they're just the beneficial, you're the beneficial owner or you're getting your own hin with Comsec Pocket. So it's not like a one size fits all. We're, we're putting them mm. under that micro investing bucket that you can invest a small amount to get started but they're all structured quite differently depending on what you want yeah i think like we've had people here in the office not part of our team that are new to investing even as coming to it later in life and they have used these apps even you know they're earning full-time wages and primary breadwinners and all that and they like those apps because yeah. it's an easy way for them to learn about investing and um like a lot of them they all still have to meet certain requirements like if they're here in australia and they take your money they have to be regulated by ASIC. They have to have an AFSL. Most of them are managed investment schemes, which is a regulated form of like entity when you put your money into them. Um, but for me, I prefer the safety of knowing that I've got a holder identification number um, longer term. Like once the amount of money gets bigger, I want to make sure I um, have the holder identification number underneath. And you pay a little bit more in brokerage eventually, but you'd be surprised how quickly you go from 50 or 100 bucks to $500, which is the minimum amount for most yeah. brokers. And then you go on from there. It's, yeah, you just start to roll. Yeah. I think as long as you use micro investing sort of to spark that curiosity and keep learning, you don't just stop at micro investing. I wouldn't say micro investing is like a 50 year long strategy. Yeah. Um, yeah so I agree with that. use it to spark your curiosity and use it to build that habit of investing small amounts on a regular basis and use as much information as they provide to learn about investing. But, um, just keep learning about your other options and different brokerage accounts and learning about ETFs so you've got those skills to make those decisions yourself as well. Yep, for sure. Good one. I like it. All right. So, Owen, we're going to take you back 12 years. And if you were starting again today, mm. would you start with buying individual shares or would you start with ETFs? I think we answered this at the top, but I would start with ETFs just simply because it's easier to start with and you also get the experience of how to place a trade, how to... Um, how you'll feel when even the ETF goes down or goes up. Uh, and that might take some time for you to become accustomed to that. And this is not to say, you know, that you shouldn't invest in individual shares. A lot of people do. Like a lot of people do a fantastic job of this, even as beginners. You know, if I, I made the mistake when I was young and I, most people make this mistake is you go out and you think I'm going to become wealthy from investing in shares. And I'm, the way I'm going to become wealthy is I'm going to like speed up the process by like 
being more active or finding individual shares that are like really hidden. And that can work. Um, but for most people, the ideal way to start and the way I wish I started was just like slowly dollar cost averaging. Um, and could have been ETFs. They weren't as popular when I started, but uh, even things like listed investment companies or like the things that seem boring but pay dividends would have been nice because then I could have reinvested it. Yeah. Um, so I would, if I was giving, say, like my child or a friend advice now, I'd say start with ETFs, get to $20,000 so you learn how you feel if you're starting out like with a few thousand dollars or whatever. And then from that point on, then start individual share investing. And, you know, you can research it in the meantime, but start from there. And the reason that I do that, you still get the experience, you still get the feeling of like your positive habits. But then from that point on, you also are a little bit more informed about your choices. Um, and one investor that I met uh, and I worked with for a very fleeting moment, he when he found out how old I was back in the day, he said, it's so wonderful that you're starting early because you can you can afford to invest in boring things that will make you lots of money. And he meant like individual shares. He meant like BHP and CBA and all that sort of stuff. Whereas he was like, I need more growth sooner. That was his, um, he was much older than me. And um, I would probably take that on board now, like investing things that are sensible, like reliable for the long term, but also have a bit of fun on the side once you get there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. awesome. Okay, so second last question. Oh, and how do you know when to sell a share? What are those signs for you? There are many different things. Um, we've talked about this in the past, but um, definitely the most obvious one for me as an investor who kind of does a lot of research would be thesis break. So this is where we come up with an idea or a reason that we're going to invest in a company. So for example, in 2018, I invested in Apple shares because I thought the iOS ecosystem, so that's like iCloud, um, the, the, like all of the, the cloud storage, um, things like the subscriptions and Apple Care and you know Arcade, all of these different things were really only just beginning. And people were like, well, Apple's too big. You know, how, they can't charge more than 2,500 for an iPhone. People are paying more than that. But you, you can't, they can't charge any more. They can't produce any more than they already are, blah, 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 blah. But they overlooked the fact that there was so many people that were getting stuck in the ecosystem that would then eventually pay Apple more and more and more. And now we've seen AirPods, we've seen HomePods, we've seen all this stuff come out. And so that was my thesis, right? That's, that's, it gives you an example. You can just write this down. I believe this is going to happen in the future. Therefore, I'm going to invest in this company. And you'd find a way to monitor that. Like you could see Apple's services revenue. That's what they call it, services revenue. You could see it growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and it's still growing today. Um, but if that ever stopped and if their hardware sales slowed down, then I would know that my thesis is broken because that's not the reason. My, my thesis might evolve, but that would be the number one reason to sell. So a lot, a lot of people, when they go into investing, they have no idea about why they own something. They're like, what is this thing? I must have read about it online. If that's okay, that's okay if you did, maybe just write down before you buy anything, um, why you buy it. And so that leads me to my second point. It's just, you make a mistake. We all do it. Um, in investing, we think this is like the worst thing in the world because we lose money. We look like a fool even just to ourselves. But mistakes happen. You know, the key, the key ingredient with any of these things is just learn from them. Number three is a very obvious reason to sell and not that common amongst share investors, but I think it should be. It's just rebalancing. A lot of people when the stock market gets really jittery um, or if it gets really frothy, like it rises up, they forget to sell. Because and a, and a really 
simple way to think about this is do you have can you sleep at night and if you can't sleep at night then maybe you've got to sell some of that really good performing share and and move it on that has nothing really to do with the individual company it's more just like your portfolio yeah there are many different reasons but the last one i'd say is um and this is one that we come up against a lot kate on the show is i've got you know twenty thousand dollars i'm thinking of saving for a house deposit and i'm going to use it in x number of years it's like this three-year rule no no money in the stock market that is going to be needed in the next three years that's the rule so if you're if you've got money in a portfolio and you think i'm going to buy a house or go on a holiday in end of next year that's within the three years so that's no you should probably sell it you know that's again nothing to do with the that's like a life rule, life, yeah. life financial <laughs> admin rule, whatever you yeah. want to call it. Um, that's probably the, the reason. But for me, most people sell out of fear and most people f- sell because the stock price falls and then they're like, oh gosh, something's wrong with it. Someone knows something that I don't know. Yeah. And if you think that way, which is very common, you're always going to think that way. So it's best before you go into that to write down why you own something because then you can reflect back on it. Yeah. Yep. Do you ever sell because you've just got too many positions that you just don't have the time to stay on top of them? Kate's all? just entered the confessional. Um, <laughs> no, so um, yeah, in the past I did. Um, there were probably two instances in my career where I've done like a bit of a detox. Um, and what I mean by that is like I kind of overhauled my strategy a bit. It turns out I bought a lot of them back again uh, for Rask Invest. But um, yeah, there were times when that happened and that's okay. Like, I, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about making lots of little investments just to see yeah. how things go and have a flutter, you know. Um, that's okay. That's okay. I And then you would sell. You would clean it up. Mm. That's fine. Um, for me, yeah, that's okay because you can have a bit of play money on the side and, and whatever. And if you're losing, you might want to take some for tax losses or whatever. That makes sense. Um, but just on that, we're coming up to tax time and a lot of people start to sell for specifically for tax, which is actually avoidance of tax, which is not a great thing. Now, there is plenty of literature on this on the ShareSite website, on the ATO website and on other places. You, you can sell. Um, you can sell and you can take a tax loss. Um, but yeah, eventually you pay the piper. Um, yeah, so tax loss selling is a very common thing as well. I just don't include it here because it doesn't actually have anything to do with wealth creation, I would say, like from a share investing perspective. Okay. And the last question is, I'm keen to start researching shares myself. What three software tools do you use as an analyst to research? Yeah. We've already talked about one, yeah. which is Ticker. Um, that's the one I spend the most time in by far. Uh, the only reason I use Ticker is because it uses one of the most reliable sources of data. When you get one of these software packages that help you invest, um, and they're like those big databases, you've got to be careful not to rely on the data. Because the data can be wrong. Mm. Um, the, in my opinion, the two best sources or three best sources of data in the world are Cap IQ, that's by Standard and Pause, that you probably see SP around. Yeah. Um, the second one is Bloomberg, but that will cost you like $20,000 plus a year. Um, and the third one is uh, Thomson Reuters, which, is, which now owns Refinitiv. Um, and so those three are the best sources of data that I've come across, but even those three aren't perfect. So I use Ticker because it uses CapIQ, it uses S&P data, and it comes at a very, very cheap price point relative to Bloomberg and all that sort of stuff. So that's my first one. Um, But it also houses some really cool stuff. Sorry, I should say. It also allows you to see analyst transcripts where normally those you'd have to go somewhere else for them. It also has the company announcements. 
So it's kind of got everything all in one place. It's got the company announcements and annual reports. It's got the transcripts and it's got uh, all the financials. Yeah. My second one is Morningstar, um, particularly Morningstar.com, the US version. I would get a membership there over the Australian one. I've talked about this before. User interface here in Australia is blah. So use the US one. Yeah. You can get a free trial. I think you get a 14-day free trial. I could be corrected on that, but I think you can get a free trial. And you can use that to access US company reports, Australian company reports, ETF reports, so on and so forth. Finally, and this is one that I'm just throwing in here. It's not really software or not really like a platform for like data or analytics or whatever, but it's more, it's a friend of ours, Andrew Page, who started strawman.com. It's an Australian business, but it's more like taking the community's input and then putting that into like collating that in a way where it's like a forum and stuff. Yeah. The issue is, I wouldn't say it's a problem. The issue is that if you're only allowed to join it as a premium member every now and again, which means until you have the opportunity, you're limited. But it's still a good place because you can still use it to journal. You can still like put down like I'm buying Telstra shares and here are my three reasons. And then you can go back and reflect on that and you can get you can speak to people in the community and forums and that sort of stuff. And the, the alternative to that is something called Hot Copper here in Australia, which I stay away from like the plague. So strawman.com for me is like the... Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of what Andrew's doing. And I think if you're trying to journal, or you're trying to track your own performance, which is another really good one with that tool, yeah. uh, you can use the free version. So that's those are my three. Ticker, Morningstar, and Strawman. I'll probably just throw in ShareSite for oh, yes. the admin side of things and keeping track of everything because you can have, if you have multiple share portfolios, like if you've got over 10 investments, I think you have to pay, yep. um, but you can track multiple portfolios and look at it in one spot and it gives you good reports on like your portfolio diversity and what industries you're invested in. So it has a lot of good features to get that data behind the scenes and if you are rebalancing, having as much information as possible before you do that, it's a good idea. I think that's a great, great point there, Kate. Like, this is more for like the admin side of investing sharesite.com is definitely the leader in yeah i mean i haven't found tax reporting i'm no quite better. happy to pay for it because i haven't found a better alternative and yeah. it helps a lot with multiple portfolios having yeah. an overall view so what you can do just for those people that are listening and don't know what we're talking about you still need to pay tax right on your share investing if you sell there's a capital gain or loss and you get dividends and franking credits sharesite should integrate with your brokerage account automatically um, and so it pulls in all of your transactions from there, then it will record what was your purchase price, which was, what was your sales price? Did you receive this dividend? And it'll prompt you or say, did you receive this dividend? Yeah. Um, and it will help you just keep it all in one place. And even just like now we're in May, look, you can download a report and it will tell you like your capital gains, um, yep. tax events for the big year. Capital and it will gains include the <laughs> big, big capital gains. Um, it'll include the capital gains tax discount because it knows all the dates for everything. And so you can actually make more informed decisions about what you're doing. Um, and it has future income reports if you are an income focused investor. So that kind of gives you an indication of what's coming up on the horizon. Um, and mm -hmm. sort of like uh, it's got a lot of really good tools, which for me, I can't, I haven't found a better version so far. Yeah. They've got a really good moat, as we yes. would say. Yes. I, um, and they work, it works for ETFs as well. Yeah. Yep. So keep that in mind. ETFs, in listed investment companies, real estate investment trusts, shares. So you can use it all. Yeah. In and there. they cover most markets I think you can yeah. integrate with. So yeah. It's cool. Good one. So, Kate, we've talked a lot about probably like more like the, I guess, common questions to do with investing in shares. Yes. If you want to extend your knowledge and go to the next level, the, the best thing to do, which is free, is to go across to the Australian Investors Podcast, I would say. Yeah. 
Um, over there, we've just done our investor bootcamp, which is a 10 part series. It's for a more advanced listener and more advanced investor. Um, it's not like super overwhelming. It's just. I'd say it's probably intermediate. Investing. Intermediate. Yeah. So you, you understand the basics of share and ETF investing. You've made a few investments and you want to sort of go that next level. Yeah. So that's over available on the Australian Investors Podcast, which is the. We're on the blue one here. If you look at your podcast player, if you look at the yellow one. Which just has Owen's face on it. Just has my ugly mug on it. Uh, you can go across there and you'll get all 10 of those episodes. And they come with a Google Doc as well. So you can download all the materials. Yeah. So um, go check that out. Kate, this is heaps of fun. Shares month. Yes. Yes. It's been a good month. It's been a good month indeed. Um, and like we said, there's heaps of courses online. On our Rask Education website, you can go to the Facebook community. Thanks for putting all of this together, helping people learn about share investing, Kate. My absolute pleasure to have you on the Australian Finance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rusk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au.